Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble starter, punkin' instigator. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Underground. Uh, it is quite an unusual taping this week, as I am here very alone and somewhat afraid. Uh, usually our OSINT analyst and our ops guy is here to help me with the recording and make fun of me while I'm reading the script, but this week we have decided to do our part with regards to social distancing. Uh, at least this week, I don't have to wear pants while recording, so that's a plus. Uh, today, we'll be beginning the weekly intelligence briefing with a quick update on the petroleum price war between Russia and OPEC. So, for those that don't know, the conglomerate of oil-producing and exporting countries, or OPEC, which is mostly led by Saudi Arabia, has had a sort of bromance with Russia for the past three years. This will-they-won't-they relationship was conceived to drive up the price of oil by reducing supply. Uh, the intent of which would be to stabilize the oil market. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Saudi Arabia wanted to cut production some more uh, in order to keep prices stable. Uh, Russia, of course, disagreed. Then the Saudis did what the Saudis always do and decided to call off the agreement and flood the market with oil, hoping to drive prices down and eventually make it too expensive for Russia to stay in the game. Seeing as OPEC lowered the price of oil in Europe by about 30%, which is in Russia's backyard, Saudi Arabia essentially was poking the bear into coming back to the negotiating table. Uh, but the Russians had a trick up their sleeve, which they've used many times before, uh, the so-called rainy day fund. See, Russia, being a Western adversary for the better part of a century, got smart back in the 90s and it essentially created a big-ass savings account for if and when the U.S. or U.S.-backed nations like Saudi Arabia decided to cut off the tap and refuse to buy Russian oil, or when Russia was hit by sanctions, as they often do. Uh, the Rainy Day Fund was most recently used by Russia to keep prices constant when economic sanctions as a result of Russia's invasion of Crimea threatened to cut off Russian oil and gas profits. So this is a grand oversimplification of how we got to where we are today, but it explains why we're in sort of a game of international chicken. Uh, Saudi Arabia, and to a lesser extent the U.S., will continue to increase production to starve out Russian production, and Russia will almost unflinchingly accept these low prices, relying on their deep pockets and enormous rainy day fund to keep prices stable for Russia. Meanwhile, gas prices around the world continue to fall, and right now the price of oil is literally cheaper than the price of the metal barrel it's stored in. And now the news that has dominated the world for the past few months, the update on the coronavirus. We're not going to get into exact numbers. Uh, things are changing so rapidly that it would be a moot point. Um, what is valuable to mention is the fake news that's been going around citing an impending national curfew slash quarantine slash lockdown. 
um, we have seen the exact uh, same posts on social media talking about how President Trump will enact the Stafford Act, which will impose martial law. We have also seen videos being posted online of military vehicles on trains, uh, supposedly being shipped around the country to stage for the implementation of martial law. Uh, these reports are outright fabrications, and here's why. Uh, first off, the Stafford Act has nothing to do with martial law uh, or any military intervention of any kind. It's simply a law that enables the government to force companies to make things like masks and other PPE and not be able to sell them to other entities uh, other than, like, say, the U.S. government. Um, there are other, a few other things in this uh, law, but... President Trump already enacted the Stafford Act several days ago, and we don't have martial law, so this theory is sort of debunked as being false anyway. Also, many videos of military vehicles on trains are also fake news. Um, many of them are years old and are the result of the Iraq and Afghanistan invasions. Also, some of the videos we have seen are of trains coming out of the Lima Army tank plant in Ohio. Um, in other words, people have videoed tanks rolling off the assembly line and are trying to make it look like preparations for martial law when in actuality they're just vehicles that are being delivered to the Army as part of a contract from years ago. Additionally, it is also very unlikely in the first place that the U.S. government would actually implement total martial law. Now, we could take hours to discuss why a total lockdown or martial law would be a horrendously bad idea from the perspective of the government, but suffice it to say that even if the federal government wanted to impose martial law, they probably couldn't do it, um, at least for a long period of time. Think about it. There are roughly 686,000 law enforcement officers in the U.S. There are roughly 337,000 National Guardsmen and women, uh, 1.3 million active duty soldiers, and, and 845,000 reservists. That's roughly 32 million people that would be called upon to enact and enforce martial law. With 327 million people in the U.S., 192 million of which are aged 18 to 65, the numbers alone suggest that enforcing martial law isn't even possible. But, since we all know that while numbers don't lie, they can be misleading, we don't solely rely upon the numbers to make our point. Take Italy, for example. Reporting from the Italian government has indicated that roughly 40,000 people have been violating quarantine procedures. This is, a, this is in a nation while, which is currently totally locked down, and which you have to have a permit from the police even to leave your house for food. A nation which is more or less under martial law can't even contain 40,000 unarmed, non-violent citizens who are simply walking around and not actively trying to hide or resist. Apply that to the hundreds of millions of U.S. citizens for whom resistance is arguably a part of American cultural identity. We are not alone in this thought. Even the Japanese thought so during World War II, giving us the often-repeated phrase that to invade the United States would prove most difficult because behind every blade of grass is an American with a rifle. 
Granted, this thought process may be a bit biased, and we certainly hate to include in an analysis uh, any ideas, concepts, and quotes that are often touted by the gun lobby and are usually used to promote some kind of logical fallacy, but I digress. Our line of thinking is simple. A national curfew or quarantine is unlikely to occur, at least in the ways that are claim- being claimed online and have been uh, claimed online for years. So the question arises then, uh, what would it look like if or when the U.S. government decides to enact martial law? Well, for one, it's unlikely to look like what we think it will. Um, For one, mass movements of soldiers would be one thing that one would think would happen. Uh, We disagree to some extent. Um, uh, Yes, we are still watching troop movements and unit deployments on social media and other sources. Thank you, OSINT. Uh, But what's far more likely to happen is what's already happening. Local law enforcement slowly but steadily decreasing one's ability to move on public roads, shop in stores, own weapons and body armor, and other events like that. Um, Events that in some areas we are already seeing. In the early stages of the coronavirus, local residents in one California subdivision were shocked when they went out to get their newspaper one morning and there were police vehicles blocking the way into their neighborhood and the police were using loudspeakers to warn people not to leave their homes. Uh, People who had dropped their kids off at school were denied entry back into their neighborhood, but were eventually allowed back in after some arguing with the police. Um, It turns out that this particular neighborhood was the home of California's first coronavirus-related death, which was the result of the rapid and unannounced lockdown. Flash forward to today, where there are limited reports of blockades going up in New Jersey and Maine, uh, the entire Bay Area being under a less stringent form of martial law, um, the entire Outer Banks of North Carolina becoming sealed off, and uh, more than half a dozen states uh, being sort of locked down. We're seeing a more localized attempt to impose varying levels of control over the population, for better or worse. Um, Granted, the politicians of California and New York have been salivating at the idea of totalitarianism for years, so the fact that California and New York have been the first to initiate a more or less lockdown on their societies isn't surprising at all. But that behavior and those actions are essentially what we're looking out for. At the end of the day, it does not matter if it is a National Guard soldier or a local cop guarding the toilet paper aisle at your local grocery store. The effect is the same. So with that in mind, we're asking all of you, if you're able, to submit information regarding checkpoints, Uh, police or military deployments, or travel restrictions to our Discord server, which is linked below or uh, also on our Instagram page. In that spirit, uh, kind of a sidebar, we are also in the process of developing a real-time intelligence sharing map, uh, which we will use to display all of the information we get with regards to the spread of the coronavirus. We'll be able to drop uh, pucks on a 3D map and draw polygons for areas that are quarantined and drop points for the exact locations of checkpoints, roadblocks, uh, shortages, uh, coronavirus-related crimes, things like that. So stay tuned for the release of this tool over the next few days. 
So switching gears slightly, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the measures we are taking to not just survive this pandemic, but to thrive through it and, be- and maintain mission readiness. Uh, first off, we are, of course, sticking to social distancing practices as much as possible when we can. Um, obviously, we work in a field that is critical, uh, so despite most things being shut down, we still have to go to work. Um, with that in mind, all of the S2 Underground core staff, uh, plus our families, take a get-home bag when, uh, with us uh, whenever we leave the house. Um, every person has their own bag, and they are kept inside the family vehicles when out grocery shopping or at work. Now, we don't have enough time to go over exactly what to keep in a get-home bag, um, but we will most likely cover such a topic in the future. Um, But in case you are new to the concept, uh, just take a look on YouTube. Uh, There are quite literally thousands of people who have perfected the art of building a get-home bag. In our vehicles, we also have gear to make it through a day or two in the event that we leave the house to go shopping and get cut off by a roadblock or quarantine and can't make it back to the house immediately. This goes hand-in-hand with our next tactic of not leaving the house unattended uh, whenever possible. So at my house, we have a rather large German Shepherd who obviously can't go to our local grocery stores with us, so he has to stay at home. Um, Also, another family member will stay home with him while we go out to groceries, uh, to go get groceries or to go to work. Um, That way, he won't be left alone at home with no way of getting food or water if we can't get back immediately. Um, Also, that additional person at home also allows the opportunity for a sort of rescue mission, for lack of a better term, uh, just in case something happens during a run to the grocery store, or a neighbor needs help, or something like that. Additionally, we have enacted the practice of not going out to the grocery store unless of in groups of two or more. Um, ideally, at least three people would be helpful. Uh, two to go inside the store, and one to stay with the vehicle, Um, always prepared to make a rapid egress from the area if things go sideways. We understand that these methods may seem quite an overreaction or draconian in nature, but um, it costs nothing to do, and uh, if you're able to do it, we encourage you to do the same. Um, We understand that most people nowadays don't have the time or simply can't have someone stay at home all the time, uh, or can't go out in groups if you you know live by yourself. So in cases like that, we would recommend just trying to do the best you can. Um, even just being conscious of a contingency plan would be of great help and fosters a great attitude of preparedness and that always repeated term, situational awareness. This virus is not even close to being severe or widespread in the U.S. yet, And even now, we are seeing shoplifting, robbery, and a general decline, but not yet total absence, of the rule of law in some very select areas uh, that have been hardest hit. And it does not matter if police jurisdictions are not enforcing laws due to practicing social distancing or because officers are genuinely sick and can't work, the effect is the same. Criminals are allowed to commit crimes with no threat of punishment at all. So, by over-preparing and being hyper-vigilant with regards to personal security, 
we're creating a mindset that will be of great help later when things really do get bad. Another aspect we are working on in our attempt to thrive in this disaster is the implementation of the tried-and-true victory garden. Yep, the small backyard vegetable gardens that got us through two world wars is definitely something to look into if you haven't done so already. It is extremely cheap to start one and can be done even on the balcony of a tiny student apartment. And generations of homesteaders have provided thousands of hours on how-to videos on YouTube. So even if you live in a postage stamp apartment and kill every plant you touch, like myself, with a small bit of effort, you too can have a small vegetable garden to provide a small source of food for later. We don't need a leaked report to tell us that this pandemic will take years to recover from. So by planting a garden now, you not only plan for later, but develop a skill set that is always, and always will be, highly valuable. Over the next few weeks, we will have a few more tips on what we're doing to not just make it through the effects of the coronavirus, but to come out of this pandemic better than when it first appeared in a town called Wuhan. So that's all we have for this week, and on an administrative note, we need you. Listeners like yourself are the core of the S2 underground movement, and the best thing you can do for us is to spread the word. Um, most of our listeners, contributors, sources, and writers uh, find us either by word of mouth or by sharing our posts on social media. So if you want to help us expand the S2 Underground project to include a wider audience, tell your friends about us. Uh, steal our posts on social media. Drop leaflets over a large city. Okay, well, maybe don't do the last one. Um, also, don't forget to join our Discord server for real-time intelligence updates throughout the week. Uh, the link is, of course, below. And if you'd like to support us monetarily, check out our merch store on Teespring. Um, that way we can buy more ad space, uh, increase our podcast bandwidth to upload more episodes, and hire more help so that we can bring you more content just like this. Remember to wash your hands, take the necessary precautions, and do what's best for your family. In times like these, the federal government isn't necessarily the bad guy. They are simply trying to do what's best for the masses. Unfortunately, what's best for the masses may not be the best for you, so choices matter. And with that, we're out for this week, and you know what to do, fight in the shade. As to actual out. <laughs>